spreading all of the benefits and the beauty of living in a city across a 24-hour time period and ensuring that it's operating correctly and that city services and the things that we expect in the day are also available at night. Are you interested in the 24-hour city? What do you think about technology helping us being creative? How can we learn better from history? Stay tuned for answers from Albi Bocanegra. What is the future for cities? Do you want to learn more about them? Do you want to know how others think about them? Do you want to be part of the conversation that this is the right place? Welcome to What is the Future for Cities podcast. Today, I will interview Albi Bocanegra, the Chief Future Officer and Founder at the Urban Futurist Inc. We will talk about his vision for the future of cities, collaboration, AI and smartness, human connections, and many more. So let's start with a proper introduction. Albi Bocanegra currently serves as the Chief Future Officer and Founder at the Urban Futurist Inc., a consultancy and advisory organization that is shaping the cities of the future. Prior to his role at MasterCard, Albi served the people of New York as Interim Chief Technology Officer in the Mayor's Office of the Chief Technology Officer, MOCTO. He has dedicated his career to building expertise in talent architecture, business strategy, and performance management with a passion for civic tech. Albi spends his time studying future technologies and makes prediction of the impact and implications they will have on cities, the people that live in them, and the ecosystems that will need to be developed to ensure that all can benefit. As an advisor and consultant, he shapes strategies, governance models, and facilitates engagements focused on delivering a better tomorrow for people. Albi also lends his expertise as an advisory board member on Digital Twins to the World Economic Forum. And with that, Albi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. I highly appreciate your appearance on the podcast. Let's jump right in. What does the future of cities mean to you? I mean, I think it means a lot of things. Some of it is digital, some of it is analog, but I think it all makes sense together. I think it's about innovation and technology, but I also think it's about human connection. I feel like technology has the possibility of enhancing city life, creating opportunity to be more sustainable, to be fair, equitable, and bring seamless city experience for people. So I see it as an opportunity to be the tool to enable human connectivity, which is interesting, right? Digital tools helping the human condition and connection. But I do see it that way. See them as like vibrant ecosystems that kind of weave technology, nature, culture, and community. I don't just see it. I don't just see urban places as business hubs. And I don't think I ever did, but now more than ever, because time and things that have happened in the past few years have shown us that cities don't, they don't just function as business hubs anymore. Now they're hubs of human connection. So That I firmly believe that. I also think back to the technology conversation, though, I think cities are now thriving on these smart systems that are powered by data and devices. And now they're all synthesized by artificial intelligence. So like all of these new bits of information and ways at looking at things have now opened up. So I think that's going to boost efficiency and productivity 
in terms of services, right? Think of more efficient transportation, more efficient waste management, energy consumption and conservation, municipal services, all of those things. Imagine you're living in a city and all those things are just working harmoniously to give you a better resident experience. So you have the space to connect with other humans because you're not worried about a million other things. That's how I see it. People being able to get anywhere within 15 minutes because they can walk or cycle. Things are closer to them. Commuting is no longer a thing. And it's just about enjoying and being in your city, if you will. That's how I'm looking at it. I also look at cities as becoming more resilient and being more self-sufficient, self-sustainable. We're talking a lot now about climate adaptation and resilience as part of urban planning, investing more in green infrastructure, vertical farming in urban areas, like all of these like possibilities are going from concept and idea and aspiration to reality and execution. That's super exciting. And then you add another layer of technology like AR and VR. So now you can experience like cities, like in all of their beauty and complexity and people who maybe were confined to their home or have certain disabilities or they can't maneuver through the city. Now they can experience their city more. So I like that's exciting. And then the thing I'm most excited about, because this is something I've worked on personally, and this is something I'm really invested in is the idea of a 24 hour city everywhere, right? Cities not sleeping embracing the complexity and being lively, being inclusive, embracing culture and having a robust economy that's operating 24 hours a day. That idea to me is so exciting because again, then more people get access to economic progress. So yeah, so I think ultimately, look, it's blending tech, sustainability, human well-being, connection, all of that, overcoming challenges and obstacles as a community being more people-centric and community-centric and having policymakers and politicians and urban planners and industry people all working together to accomplish all that. That, to me, is what the future of cities looks like. Is this the future of the city or is it the current city for you? I think it's both. I think it's the reality of today, but I think we're not done. I think that work is not done. I think it's as technology evolves, as people evolve, as cities evolve, so will our reality. It's iterative. We'll never be done. Cities are living, breathing things. In the past, they've been designed to be just like concrete and asphalt and static and don't go anywhere. But I don't think that's the direction we're going. Now, as a person who likes to sleep, 24-hour city is a bit terrifying because, for example, yeah. from New York, That's the picture of the always waken city. And yeah. obviously, in comedy sketches, you can hear the comedian say that, yeah, it's always awake. I just want to sleep for an hour without yeah. any noise. Yeah, It's just a question how we can also yeah. accommodate the need for relaxation, for example, for people yeah, in the course. 24 hours. So let me clarify the 24-hour city, right? I don't see the 24-hour city as like nonstop party, nonstop social activities, nonstop noise and stuff like that. What I see is spreading all of the benefits and the beauty of living in a city across a 24-hour time period and ensuring that it's operating correctly and that city services and the things that we expect in the day are also available at night. So like you were saying, you would like to relax and you would like to 
clear your mind? Why aren't there like yoga classes for people that sleep late? And are, are there shift workers that get off at 2 a.m. who perhaps want to clear their mind so they can get their sleep from 4 a.m. to 1 p.m. the following day? That's it. Or get your grocery shopping in the middle of the night because that's when you're available and that's when your kids are asleep if you have them. Or if people need to go on a late night walk because they have insomnia or because they just need to clear their head, shouldn't the street lights and the sensors and all of the things that make city life awesome be available to them so they feel safe and secure? My concept of a 24-hour city isn't a city that just doesn't stop. I don't think of Las Vegas or something like that. I think of the 24-hour city as spreading the joys of being in a city across a 24-hour period. And having at least the majority of the things that we enjoy during the day available at night. You know, think of small businesses. Imagine they get more hours to transact and to do commerce and to bring money in and to maybe hire an extra employer to. So then you start talking about economic impact of that. So then you're also spreading revenue across a 24-hour period versus saying everyone's got to rush to the mall to get there from 12 p.m. to 9 p.m. or 8 p.m. to do their shopping because if not, you can't shop. So tell that to a healthcare worker who's been saving lives until 9, 10 p.m. Oh, wait, you can't shop until your off day because you're not worthy to enjoy the benefits of the city. How is that fair to shift workers? How is that fair to people who work remotely and perhaps their employer is in another continent on a different time zone, so their hours are different, etc.? The concept that a city works from nine to five is antiquated and it's ridiculous and no one wins there. And this whole concept of a 24-hour city, it's not just for the New Yorks, the Londons, the Paris, the Dubais of the world. It could be Massapequa, or it could be like any city out there could benefit from a nighttime economy and a thriving 24-hour economy. Coming back to your description, it seems that it's more about the services being timeless and not forcing everyone to go to the administration from nine to five, because that's the time when they are also working, right? Yeah. What are your three biggest fears or concerns regarding the future of cities? Exclusion, people being excluded from that growth. There's a lot of wonderful things happening today. We're closing that digital divide. We're introducing new technology like artificial intelligence and generative artificial intelligence. We're introducing AR and VR, all of these things. And I worry that a tech adoption will only be for a few and not for everyone. So I think it's important that we don't leave anyone behind. And usually the reality of it is the communities that get left behind are usually marginalized communities already. They're already left behind on a bunch of other stuff, housing, jobs, economic opportunities. So we can't allow technology to create further gaps in progress for people that need it the most. So I worry about that because just as I'm a tech optimist and I'm excited about AI, AR, VR, all those wonderful things that unlock a beautiful and prosperous future, I know they have the power to further divide and to further leave people behind. And so I worry about that. However, it's not a problem that we can't solve. We all across the world, I'm not just talking about the US or Europe or anything. We have the access and the resources to ensure that everyone has opportunity to benefit from advances in technology. So that will require policymakers, industry, academics, civil society, everyone to ensure that they are doing their part to, yes, 
bring progress and bring innovation, but also bring access and equity into the equation without forgetting that. I worry about privacy and security and data. Again, it's one of those things. Love AI. I love the promise of it, but I also worry that the amounts of data, the amounts of pieces of information as cities become smarter and more connected, et cetera. And so you think about that and you also think about cyber threats. In a hyper-connected world, that will be our reality. The other layer of crime we will have to worry about is crimes committed against our information. I worry about that. And I also worry about, I know I mentioned when I described the future of cities as being connected and a lot of human connection, but I worry that we won't put that at the center of all of it, that we'll put technology first. And instead of technology helping us connect more, it'll disconnect us, right? And over-reliance, again, I'm a technologist, I'm a futurist, and I talk about tech all the time, but I also believe that if we become over-reliant on technology, that we lose that sense of community, we lose that sense of human interaction, then our brains get lazy also because computers and things and machines are doing all the work for us. I would hope that we would further connect and we would use technology to better connect with each other, but also to enhance, to open the space up for us to be more creative and create more. There's half of the people I know that are in tech have some kind of art they do. Like I've been DJing for 25 years. I'm obsessed with music. I play records all the time. I DJ for friends, all of that. I've let technology help me be a better DJ. I'm not a purist, right? Where I'm like, oh no, I only play vinyl records. No way, man. I use digital technology for DJing, et cetera. So I've let technology help me become more creative. And so I would hope that other people could use technology to make more beauty in this world. I also don't want it to become this sterile hyper-connected, super technological environment. I want a lot of beauty in the world. I like looking at beautiful things and hearing beautiful sounds and tasting beautiful tastes. So your fears are exclusion due to tech evolution, privacy and security, and the loss of human connections in the center of our focus. Yeah, yeah and the growth of cybercrime increasing, because just as we're becoming more technologically advanced, so are cybercriminals. Just like we get smarter and have better tools, they get smarter and get better tools. So it's just staying ahead of that, protecting people. Regarding the first of your fears, exclusion and tech adoption, what does equity mean to you? Everybody wins and no one group benefits more than the other, plain and simple. I could get a little more philosophical with that, but it's just simple. Everyone wins. Everyone gets a shot. Everyone gets access and everyone has all the tools to succeed equally available to them. You said that everybody gets the opportunity, everybody gets the shot, everybody gets to participate, everybody gets the access to the opportunities, mm -hmm. and that everybody has the same outcome. I don't think everybody, everyone shouldn't have the same outcome because that would be a super boring world. I think everyone's goals are different. Everyone's outcomes are going to be different. Some people want to be billionaires. Some people just want to be happy. Some people want to serve And some people just want to take care of their family. So I think, no, not everyone has the same outcome. Some people want to work. I want to get a good job and retire with their pension or whatever. Some people want to be entrepreneurs and never have a boss and never have to answer to anyone. What I'm saying is you get the tools to make that choice, not you have to make that choice because you don't have another choice. Does that make sense? When given the opportunity and when given the tools, I think people can decide for themselves what that outcome is going to look like. 
Do you think that people are using such tools to make conscious choices? If they have access to them, but not everyone does. So I think, yes, I do. I think when given the tools, you know what you're doing, right? It's when you don't have access that you just have to make do. Like it's that saying, it's like, you got to make do with what you have. And great, that's fine. But let's level the playing field and make sure that everyone has the same tools, right? That's just my opinion. And I don't think it's that hard. Like, look, like the generative AI, a lot of this stuff's free. Not if you don't have a computer, though, and not if you don't have connectivity. So it's not free. It's free to me because I've got a computer right here. I have super high-speed internet. I have all those things. So to me, yeah, generative AI is absolutely free. But maybe down the street, there's a kid with no computer and no internet at home and just depends on the library or school. It's different. Regarding your second fear, privacy and security, what does AI and what does smartness mean to you? AI just represents the promise of a future free of meaningless work and mindless fake productivity. It's the promise of eliminating some of that, some of the stuff that is soul crushing work to some people and opening up the possibility of people doing something that makes them happy versus just rubber stamping or punching the clock. And smartness, I don't know, I guess it just depends on the context of its city smartness. I think it's being responsive to needs and then using tools like AI or like any tools or predictive analytics or whatever to make more informed decisions using the tools, ensuring that you understand that technology is a tool and it's not the thing to do things better and to make better decisions and using the information that these technological tools provide for us as in the form of data to make more informed decisions that is better for people, better for our environment, and just better for the human condition overall. It's a simple definition of smart. I don't think it's tech. I don't think it's a bunch of devices and sensors everywhere. I don't think it's that. It's what we do with it. And if what we're doing isn't helping people, helping others, helping everyone be better, then why the hell even do it? Forget it. Let's drop it. Then what are the three biggest opportunities regarding the future of cities for you? Collaboration, ecosystems that are just built for people to collaborate, even at the community level, just like community groups getting together to talk about what's happening in their communities. Overall, I think that's a strength. That's a real great opportunity that cities have is it's where all the people are. It's where the rubber meets the road, right? So there's a strength in working together. And residents getting together to make decisions for what happens in their communities, but also businesses and corporate citizens that operate in those cities being a part of that. And so I think strengthening public-private partnerships, strengthening community boards and groups, strengthening just community ecosystems and city ecosystems, I think is a great opportunity because cities have that. They can reach out. You can talk to your neighbor. You can talk to your local elected official. You can talk to the local business, you have the opportunity to be collaborative. The other thing is in a city is where all the information is, all that good data for better decision-making is right there. You could touch it. You could almost taste it, right? You're walking down the street and you see the sensor at the street light and you're like, man, all this good information's out here. What is my city or what are people doing with this information? What are startups? What kind of this better decision? So I think having access to real-time data at the city level, at the block level is a strength. You can enhance the city experience if you have good information like that. And you can allocate the right amount of resources to solve challenges or just to make things better. The other thing is cities are like hotbeds of talent. 
you got a bunch of smart people living in them. And so you can tap into that easily into that human ingenuity. And so I think that's a super strength that you've got the brain power on any given street, on any given block, on any city to solve complex challenges together from the bottom up, not just from the top down. It's great. I love top down leadership. That's fantastic. But it's got to meet halfway with the bottom up. So I think tapping into that human ingenuity that lives within cities is a super great strength. Do you differentiate between opportunities and strengths? Yeah, because sometimes an opportunity presents itself in the form of a challenge. I do differentiate. An opportunity could be something that you see that is ready for innovation or ripe for creation. But then sometimes an opportunity is like something's broken and it's your time to fix it. You might have the right solution or the right idea. I think they're a little bit different, both equally important and a lot of crossover between the two. But yeah, and then a strength is what's available. It's the tools you have available at your fingertips. It is different. You said that collaboration is an opportunity. Data and information and talent are strengths. Yeah, I guess we can think of it that way because collaboration is not easy. Sometimes it comes in the form of a challenge. Sometimes it's getting a bunch of stakeholders that don't care to work together on the same page. I would say collaboration is an opportunity versus a strength because you usually don't have it. When you have it, it's a strength. But when you're building it, it's an opportunity because I've had to build networks and I've had to build coalitions and I've had to build community-driven working groups and task forces and stuff. And at first it presents itself as a challenge and sometimes it's an uphill battle. But once you've accomplished it and you've created some sort of collaboration, whether it's two parties or 2,000 parties, whatever that is, it's hard. It's hard. And sometimes people are hard-headed and they're set in their ways and you have to convince them to go a certain direction because it is the right thing for everybody, not just for a few. Data is a strength because it's there and it's available. And I think the opportunity there is what to do with it because of sensors and devices are cranking out massive amounts of data and refining it and synthesizing it and turning it into actionable insights is the challenge. And that's why you need very smart people, great tools like AI to turn it into insights that you can do something with. We have collaboration as an opportunity and we have what to do with the available data and information as an opportunity. Do you have any other opportunities for the future of cities? I'm going to steal this from a friend of mine who's a counselor at the city of Wellington, New Zealand. I just had a chat with him and he talked about fostering a culture of, what's the word, of experimentation to get people excited about experimenting with things like not just AI, but like creating a culture where it's cool to experiment and getting people to think of what kind of experiment can I do to solve this? Or how can I test this technology? I don't know crap about AI. How do I get in there and just dig in and understand how it works for me? I may not know anything, but I'm going to play with it. I feel like curiosity, it's been like frowned upon to be too curious or too experimental. People like tend to not take that serious and they want like real facts and strong research and a well thought out thesis. But like, where does that leave curious people and risk takers and experimenters? So I think fostering that kind of culture is a great opportunity is, and cities can do that and communities can do that. So I think shout out to my friend, Sean, 
at the city of Wellington for saying that they've worked hard to create, to foster a culture of experimentation. That's like the most kick-ass thing I've ever heard. That sounds just amazing. In your description on what to do with data, you mentioned the progress or process to use the data to create insights. So data in and of itself is not that useful just yet? Large amounts of data that are just pieces of tons and billions of pieces of information don't do much. If someone hands you this spreadsheet or this report or this dashboard with gazillion bits of data, and you don't have the tools to refine it and turn it into something and make it mean something, then it's worthless. Nothing you can do with that. So yeah, it's important to have the tools to turn data into action, turn data into information that leads to action. Luke Hausko talked about this, how to create from data information, from information insight, and then from insight to knowledge, which would inform the decisions and the actions. Well, that sounded much more intellectual than my explanation, but I think we meant the same thing. (laughs) Yes. What does innovation mean to you? Because innovation is a word we throw out into the world very easily, asking for innovative ideas and then get sometimes sketchy, sometimes amazing answers, and sometimes answers which would defeat the purpose and go against, for example, already good ideas. What does innovation mean to you? It means a lot. It also depends on the context. But I think it's just creating new ways to accomplish great things, whether that's coming up with a new idea and a new way of looking at something, looking at the same problem from a different perspective and choosing to take a different path that you would normally take, having that curiosity about you to explore a different way of solving for something and underpinning all of it is creativity is how can I be creative about solving this or exploring this versus like, how do I take the same tools that I have and repurpose them in a different way to come up with the same outcome? That's not innovation. That's ingenuity, but that's not innovation, right? Innovation is taking the complete, it's almost sometimes even going against your nature to try to achieve a different outcome, still a positive one, but using your creativity, using new ideas, being open to new ideas, to take a different path. And as a result, you do generate a better outcome and you do generate a new way of doing something. Efficiencies are created or a competitive edge is created. And at the other side of it, someone is able to benefit from what you just did. I think that's innovation. I'm literally coming up with my definition of innovation in real time. That's so weird because I've been in the innovation air quotes space for a long time. I don't think anyone's asked me just that simple question, but I think that's what it means to me. It's really interesting that you as a tech optimist would focus on technology only as a tool. May I ask, how did you arrive to this approach to technology? It's my nature. I didn't have a choice. I didn't make that choice. My psyche, my conscious, my whatever you call it, made that decision for me is from the day I touch technology, I always ask myself, I pride myself in saying this. I live my life in service to others. I've served in the military. I did public service in the city of San Francisco and New York. I've always been like a part of the greater good, if you will. I didn't make that choice. 
because I could have probably said, I want to be an engineer and just focus on machines, right? And focus on whatever, or I want to be a computer scientist. And it was always like, how does this help people? How do people benefit? What's the end result for human beings? Like, I don't know. I literally had no choice in the matter. It was decided for me. It's fascinating to hear that this wasn't the choice for you. We also talked about the strengths, data and information, and talents. Do you have any other strengths for the future of cities? History is knowing where we've been, because we've got a lot of documented history of our cities, of the way they were originally designed. Like even just more recently, forget like the birth of democracy and all that. Just think of maybe the last hundred years. Cities were designed or redesigned around automobiles. And so we have the historical information and now we have the current outcomes to know that didn't work. So we have bits like that. We have history. We have access to information about how cities were governed, how cities were designed, how cities were built, how buildings, we have all this historical knowledge to inform the things that we're doing today so future generations can have better outcomes. So understanding the history of the why is super important. And we have access to that. All that information exists, right? We can go back and look at advertising from the automobile industry, how they were saying, build bigger freeways, build bigger highways, and traffic will cease to exist and do this and do that. We were led astray by industry for a long time because we allowed it to happen. But now we know better. And that's just, look, I'm not picking on the automobile because there's great OEM players that are doing fantastic things and they're making more fuel efficient vehicles and they're putting all these safety features. So they're pivoting, I think, a lot of them to correct it. But their predecessors, maybe not so much. So I think history is a strength is we have access to that information and to know what worked, what didn't work. People are talking about using these ancient building techniques to mitigate climate in cities and cooling buildings, like using old techniques that were deployed hundreds of years ago, maybe even thousands of years ago. So without that history, maybe we wouldn't know. So I think it's cool to have that access to history. Culture, another strength is we have identity as cities, but it's fragile culture. That's a fragile environment and we have to preserve it and protect it, but we have it and it's there. Every city has a sound, a taste, a smell. You go to Morocco and it smells a certain way. It tastes, it feels, it sounds a certain way. You go to New York, it smells definitely, it feels like you go to New Orleans, Louisiana, you go to Paris, you go to Dubai, you go everywhere. And every city has an identity and it has a sound and it has a feel to it. And that to me is probably the biggest strength that cities have is they have an identity. And if someone dropped you in the middle of New York, if they blindfolded you and covered your ears and threw you in a teleportation device and they dropped you in the middle of New York City, you're there. When they take off that blindfold, you're in New York. And that could be said about many cities. You could be teleported there instantly and you would know you're there from the smell, from the sounds, from the feeling, from the people. I think the culture and identity is a strength, but it's also fragile. So preserving that is, I can't overstate the importance of that. Although I could ask you for hours regarding history and culture, I'm conscious of the time. So this will be almost the last question. Do we learn yeah. from history? Do you think that we are at the stage when we are looking back and learning from history? 
if we don't learn it, if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. Yes and no. Yeah, we learn from history and we learn from our past mistakes. Do we repeat them? Hell yes. Just look around. Pick up a newspaper, open up your web browser and look at things that are going on in this world. And there's a lot of history repeating itself all the time before our very eyes. Sometimes it's a good thing because we went back to doing something or thinking a certain way that was the right way. And maybe we lost our way a little bit, but then we looked back at ourselves and said, I think that was the right way. So it is important. We do learn from it, I believe. But sometimes we learn from it and we still repeat it anyway. It's human nature. It's who we are. Just like we create and build, we also tend to destroy. It is what it is. What can we do? I don't think we'll ever change that. Some people have learned from it and they see past mistakes and they'll just do it eyes wide open over and over again. (laughs) So, you know, like I said, it is what it is. What is your role in establishing the future of cities? Without giving myself too much credit, I think I have a really important role to play. I have been really lucky and really fortunate to be in a position where people do look to me for answers or for guidance or for advice or just information on the future of cities. Like it or not, I have a responsibility to the world because my relationships span across the world to make sure that I'm envisioning, I'm guiding, I'm catalyzing the right way to do urban transformation for better outcomes for the future. I've been lucky enough to be CTO of a city, a vice president at a huge fintech, an advisor to global governments, an advisor to startups and companies where I've gotten to see a whole lot of things. And I think I have enough information to make predictions or bets on what implications these things will have on the future. And so I need to ensure that I am really well informed on what's out there and what's happening in this world and who's doing what and who's doing it well. So I can bring all that information to stakeholders, to friends, to partners, to people that are doing the great work of making cities better and sharing that information and sharing those resources and making the right connections for them. I also lead a lot of collaborations and a lot of partnerships. So it's my responsibility to ensure that I'm putting the right people in the conversation so everyone's at the table and everyone's getting a say at what the future of cities are. That again, it's not we learn from history and know what happens when a few people make decisions for the many, for the masses. And I think we don't have to look too far back in history to see if you put technology first, what happens to a city or what happens to communities or what happens to jobs. I also need to be, I need to constantly be reminding people of that. And sometimes it's an uncomfortable truth and a conversation that it's hard to have with people, especially when they're in very high positions in the world, to bring them back to saying, hey, we've seen this happen before. Let's rethink this and let's get creative about it. So that's my role. I also have to ensure that I'm like the voice of reason when it comes to balancing innovation and technology and doing good and being ethical and being transparent and ensuring that in the future of cities, we're providing the well-being and the improvement of life for people. And so it's my responsibility as an urban futurist to be pragmatic about the future and make it a practical future. and do things today that plant seeds today that are going to bear fruit in the future and making sure that 
we create a future and we create cities or whatever that we can all be proud of, that we can look our children and our grandchildren in the eye and say, we did this for you and we did it right. We got it right this time, guys. That I think is part of my responsibility because I look, I don't know that my parents can look at me and say, we got it right. You look at people struggling because of credit scores and some of the way that the banking systems and housing and all of these decisions were made. And it's like my wife and I, we joke about this all the time. We're like, man, freaking boomers invented all the worst stuff. We say that because that was a different time, but they probably back then thought they were doing the right thing by creating some of these things, criminal justice system, a bunch of these things that got created during their time. So we have to look at that history and make better decisions about the future and say, hey, when you decide things or when you let the few decide for the many, this is what happens. So my role, I think, is I take it serious and I don't take it for granted, by the way. And I don't feel entitled to having a voice, anything. I approach all of these things with humility and I come from a place of generosity and love. And I know at the risk of sounding corny or whatever, I do. And I think if you talk to anyone that's ever engaged with me from a national politician to a mayor to a technologist, they're all, I don't think anyone could ever say that I didn't approach most things from that place of humility and from that place of being centered in my beliefs and sharing those with the openness to receive different feedback than I thought, because I also don't think I'm an authority by any means. I don't decide for anyone. I just make a case for it. But if you present other evidence and other facts that could maybe sway mine, I'm flexible enough to know, hey, maybe you're right and I'm wrong about this. So let's together co-create the right direction. And so it's my job to be collaborative about that. That kind of goes back to that coming from a place of humility where I've been humbled many times where I thought I was I had the answer and I left with a completely different perspective, but I was better for it. So as a futurist, I think it's important for me to know that I don't have all the answers, but I have access to the smartest people in the world that might have more information for me to collect and synthesize and turn that into predictions that could benefit others. And then lastly, as a convener, I see my responsibility as getting all of this great information and all of these thought leaders and all of these great startups and companies that are doing amazing work that's going to benefit the world, being their megaphone, amplifying their message to ensure that as many people as possible can receive it. To sum it all up, I think most importantly, the thing that I can contribute is just being a good person, being who I am, being myself and not changing it for anything, not changing my position for a job, for an employer, for a boss and all that. I'm the same guy that was just starting out 15, 20 years ago. I'm pretty much this. I'm a little bit smarter, but I'm the same guy. I think I go to bed every night knowing I do good by people. I do right by people. And because I do that, they might listen to me. And if they listen to me, we might together create a better future. Abby, thank you so much for your work and your future approach. I highly appreciate it. Do you yeah. have any closing comments or requests for the audience? The only request I have is always remember your humanity. Always remember people first. Everything else could be erased in a blink of an eye. So just remember to put people first, put your community first, put your neighbor, your loved ones, your friends, your colleagues, your leaders, put human beings at the center of everything you do. You'll never lose if you do. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It was really interesting to hear from Albi his description for innovation, not to mention his marveling on beauty, 
Corey Gray connected beauty to sustainability in episode 126. You can find out more about our be online. All the links are in the show notes. What was the most interesting part for you? What questions did arise regarding Albi's approach to the future of cities? What have you learned from this interview? Let me know on Twitter at WTF4Cities or on the WTF4Cities.com website where the transcripts and show notes are available. You can also subscribe on the website not to miss any new episodes and leave some feedback. I hope this was an interesting interview for you as well and thanks for tuning in. What is the future for cities podcast?